This morning, Luke chapter 12, we're looking at the parable of the rich fool. Now, not speaking of fools, but speaking of what we did this uh, weekend for Valentine's Day. It was Friday, right? Valentine's Day was on Friday, and Sarah and I spent it at the auto show in Richmond. Okay, so I know that sounds very romantic to do that. What was even more romantic is that we took Johnny along as our chaperone. Okay, so that made it even more romantic. But we had uh, left Johnny at home for several different things over the course of the last couple of weeks, uh, a wedding and going to the hospital to visit and all kinds of things. So we thought at least we shouldn't leave him at home yet another night all by himself. So we went along, he went along with us, we went. And I know it's not what you would consider necessarily a romantic evening, but Sarah and I have gone to many auto shows and we actually enjoy them. We like to go and we like to sit in the new cars because you can smell them and they're all brand new and you can see how clean they are. I kind of get embarrassed and that's what I thought. I mean, I, I was, I thought, my goodness, my vehicles are so dirty compared to these. I've got to go home right now and clean them. So you get the nice clean cars and you get to see without any salesman bothering you. Sorry, Denny, but th- th- that's nice to be able to do that. No one comes and talks to you. Uh, you can go to all the different brands. You know, you can sit in a Lexus or you can sit in a Mercedes. You can sit in a Ford or a Chevy and you can do it all in just one big room. So we really enjoy it. We've done it many times over the years. But the, the one thing that's bad about them is that... It's very tempting to start coveting these vehicles. And, uh, you know, you can sit in them and imagine how great you would look in it and how great you would feel in it. And you can uh, just wish I had this one. You know, even if you just bought a new car last month, when you sit in a new one that's a month newer, you feel like, gosh, I need this one rather than the one I just bought. And so uh, you kind of feel like, gosh, there's, there's so much and I want so m- many of these and I, I want this truck and I want this car. I, I want, want, want. And forget that I've got three vehicles uh, in my driveway and, and one that Christian drives at UV. I mean, I've got four vehicles I'm paying taxes and insurance on. And, I mean, shouldn't that be enough to not want yet another one? And so that's the only problem with those auto shows. The other interesting thing is I didn't find a single one in there under $30,000. So, you know, you do have to pony up for these things. It was nice sitting in ones that were over $100,000. Uh, I wonder if I'd ever have one of those. But anyway, let's move on from cars and talk about what Jesus is talking about today. He said this parable is easy to understand why he told it. Because the context of it is this. Someone from the crowd said to Jesus... Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. This is the setting. And too many families have been there. There's a man. Assume his parents passed, either his mom or his dad. And now it's time to divide up the stuff. His brother, in his opinion, is not being very cooperative. Isn't dividing it fairly. Maybe he isn't giving him anything. And he demands to have his fair share. Doesn't that sound like too many families when it comes to the death of a loved one? It's unfortunate. It's unbelievable, but it happens. People will argue over cars. They'll argue over heirlooms. They'll argue over uh, land and property and checking accounts and savings accounts. Uh, 
you got more than I got. Why didn't I get as much as you did? Mom always told me I was supposed to have that. Now you've got it. Why is it in your house? Isn't this what families unfortunately do? And you wonder, do you even love the person who just passed away or do you love their stuff? I mean, that's what it sounds like. And that's what happened here. This man said to Jesus, Jesus, you make him give me my inheritance. Now, why would he come to Jesus and ask that? Well, he addressed Jesus as a teacher. So it was common for people to come to a rabbi, to a teacher, and ask for their opinion, to ask for their interpretation of the law of God. So he expected Jesus to go to his brother, quote him a verse, I don't know, Deuteronomy 21. Brother, you're supposed to give your brother this much of the inheritance and do it now. That's what this man was hoping for. But Jesus wasn't going to get involved. He said, friend, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? So Jesus never got involved with these types of disputes. Never. It wasn't his mission. His mission was to do the will of the Father. And the will of the Father was for Jesus to come and to teach with authority. It was to come and do miracles to prove that he was the Messiah. It was to come and die on a cross for our sin and to rise to life again. That was his mission. He wasn't going to allow anything to distract him from his mission. Nothing that was going to get in his way was going to happen. And so a dispute among brothers about an inheritance, Jesus says no. I'm not getting involved in that. But it gave Jesus a perfect opportunity. Because he could look into this man's heart. And he saw in this man's heart the reason why he wanted Jesus to act on his behalf. He saw greed. He saw a man who was hungry for money. And he wasn't getting what he thought he deserved. Or maybe he wanted to steal from his brother what he didn't deserve. Jesus saw his heart and used it as an opportunity to teach his listeners and to teach us as well. The parable itself is easy to understand. We'll read it in a moment. You'll hear it. You'll understand it immediately. It's not confusing. We don't need to get uh, scholars, interpreters. You don't need to go to the Greek to figure it out. It's easy. In fact, Jesus tells us what it means before he even tells it. So there's no hidden meanings or anything. He just tells them, watch out and be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus says that before he even tells the story. Listen to it again. Watch out. It's a warning. He says, be on guard. Be on guard against all greed. Because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. And most of us will see that, understand it, and when we read it, we'll understand exactly what Jesus is saying. So let's hear the story, the parable of this rich man who God called a fool. Jesus told them this parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. 
I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. That's an easy story. It's easy to understand why Jesus told this story. It's easy to understand what he's saying. He's saying life is not about possessions. And most of us are old enough, wise enough to agree with that. But I've always had a hard time relating to this parable. I've always understood it. Even as a kid, I could understand it. As an adult, understand it. But the reason I've always had a hard time relating to it, and maybe you do as well, is because I've always thought this. I'm not rich. I'm not greedy, and I'm certainly not a fool. <laughs> and that's who this parable is for, a rich fool. It's for people who are rich. It's for people who are greedy. It's for people who are foolish, unwise in how they live their lives. And so because I don't feel like I'm rich, I don't feel like I'm greedy, I don't feel like I'm a fool, why do I need to listen to this parable? What does it have to teach me? How can I live it out in my life? I want to help you before we look at the parable more to help you understand that maybe you are a rich, greedy fool. Okay? And you need to listen to what Jesus has to say. Now, I know in this congregation there are people who are poor. I certainly know in this community there are people who are in poverty. And so when I share this slide with you, I don't want to minimize those in our community and our church who do struggle for the basics of life, and who do make less in their family than $10,000 a year. But there's many of us here in this congregation who would say, I'm not rich, because we as Americans usually think of rich means yachts. It means mansions. It means servants. It means limousines. It means private jets. It means yachts. It means going to any dealership in the world and buying whatever you want. You want a Rolls Royce, a Lamborghini, just go and you just pay cash for it. That's someone who's rich. You go to a department store, you buy the $300 pair of jeans and don't even think about it. Or you go and you buy for your wife on her anniversary $10,000 diamond earrings and don't even think once about it. I mean, that, that's being rich, isn't it? Now, who here is rich? None of us are that rich. And so we think, I'm not rich. I've got bills to pay. I've got to work hard all week to make enough money to, to feed my family. I, I've got car payments, and I've got insurance payments, and I've got orthodontic payments and college expenses. You know, I'm not rich. But think about this. If you make $32,400 a year, you make more money than 99% of the people in the world. That's a very modest salary to be a one percenter. Again, in our country, we've heard recently about the one percent and how they're 
greedy money grubbers who have all the wealth in our country and don't give anything to anybody else. And again, we imagine those one percenters are the yacht people and the country club people. But worldwide, in reality, that's many of us are the one percenters. And if your household has income of more than $10,000, you have more money than half the world does. In the U.S., that's below the poverty line. But worldwide, that's more than half the world has. See, we forget, I think, that to have hot water is a luxury. To have a vehicle is a luxury. To have air conditioning is a super luxury. Refrigeration, a freezer, that's super luxurious. You see, we think of yachts and mansions and expensive cars and jewels as being rich. But in the real world, worldwide, having hot running water, a vehicle, certainly a television or a cell phone, is a lap of luxury. So maybe we are rich and should listen to this parable. Also, we are influenced by money more than we think we are. I know most of us, especially Christians, aren't uh, Ebenezer Scrooge, we're not Scrooge McDuck, we're not these evil villains that are looking to steal money from widows, and we're not trying to plot against our neighbor and steal his car or, or take his wife from him. You know, we're not that type of greedy. And so again, we think, well, I'm not greedy. But think about this, though. I mean, isn't it true that often we do see something and we wish we had it? And it's usually... It can be at times more than just a fleeting thought. Sometimes we'll think a lot about it. I wish I did have that car, that boat, that house. You know, I, I, men and women are different. You know, us men, maybe when we go to the electronic stores, we're drooling over the TVs we see and, the, and you know, the speakers and things. That's what I like to do. You know, Sarah, she sees the shoes, and, and that, you know, that's what she's looking at and wishing she had even more of them than she already has, or, or you know, or she can watch HGTV, and, and then she's already spent half a million dollars in her house, you know, that's how she is, but, you know, I, I, I look at the, the television, and I do see the vehicles, and I see the, the big trucks, and, I, you know, I've already spent $100,000 on a new uh, truck, so, you know, we have our different things, but we look at them and covet them, we want them. Or think about this, this frustrates me that when I look at my checking account or my bank account and when there's a surplus in there or there's enough money, I think, well, good, I've got it covered for this month. I feel more secure. I, I, I feel safer. There's less stress. The months where it looks like, well, it's going to be tight. Uh, we're going to have to borrow some money. We're going to put something on the credit card. That's when I get anxious. That's when I feel like I'm less secure. That's when I feel like life's not as good as it should be. And when I think about that, what am I really trusting in then at that point? I'm trusting more in the money to provide security, to provide life, 
to provide satisfaction than I am trusting in God. No, God never changes month to month. He's, he's always the same. He's always there to provide, even though our balances can go up and down. I mean, how much money do you give away? Again, sometimes we're, we're not greedy, but we want to keep what we have. You know, let someone else get what they need. Or we think, you know, I've got, I've got too many bills. I've got too much to pay. And sometimes that is true. I don't want to downplay that. But sometimes our bills are for things that honestly are luxuries. And sometimes we have a surplus. We don't give it away because, well, we might need it. Or my surplus isn't big enough. Again, if that's our thoughts, aren't we influenced by that money more than we would like to admit? That shows a lack of faith if we're not giving away. It shows a lack of obedience to the Lord if we're not giving away. Why don't we have more of the attitude, I'm just going to give and give and give until it hurts and have faith that God's going to provide? Versus, I better keep back a cushion and I better uh, keep more and I better not give too much or I might need that. And It's kind of the opposite attitude of what God wants us to have. Again, what are we trusting more in then? It's the money. So I'm certainly not a financial advisor, and so please don't listen to me if you listen to Dave Ramsey or someone else, okay? But I just want you to think better or broader, I should say, about how much money does influence you. So it certainly does me, even though I wouldn't consider myself a greedy person. So I am, according to world standards, a rich person, and I am influenced by money. And I may be a fool as well. (laughs) Let's see if you're a fool or not. I think we're probably rich and probably greedy, so we should listen to this parable. See, a fool believes that the greater his riches, the greater the richness of his life. That's what this man did in the parable. Notice again, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Do you notice the equation? The big barns, all the crops, all, of that, all those possessions. That for him equals take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Possessions equals easy life. Possessions equals enjoyment. Possessions equals happiness. And this fool's math. But the reality is, the truth is, it's our closeness to God. It's our intimacy with God that equals the richness of our lives. It's not the possessions we have. It's how close we are to God that equates to satisfaction, to joy, to happiness. I love what Jesus says in John chapter 10. He says this, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. 
A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. The picture is easy to understand. Jesus is referring to a a flock of sheep and they're coming to the evening. Sheep don't stay out in the open fields at night because the wolves will come and eat them or someone will come and steal them. So the shepherd gathers them into a pen. And Jesus says, I am the gate into that sheep pen where the sheep can come in and there they have pasture and there they have security and there they are safe. The sheep are living the good life in that security and pasture of the pen. And how do they get there? Through the gate. And Jesus says, I am the gate. If you come through me, by me, you will be saved. And you'll have a life of abundance. So do do you hear the equation here? If you want a life of, of joy, of peace, satisfaction, fulfillment... You want a a life that goes on forever, an eternity with the Lord. Where is that found? It's found in Jesus. It's found in God. The closer you are to Him, the happier you are. The closer you are to Him, the more joyful you are. The closer you are to Him, the more peace you have. You have more satisfaction the closer you are to Him. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the size of your bank account or the amount of your possessions. This is the truth of life. You see, the world tells us, always tells us the opposite. The world always tells us we will be happy, fulfilled, have peace and joy if we buy something else. That's what all of advertisements are based on. Do you see any sad people in the advertisements? Only the ones that don't get the stuff they're trying to sell. They're the only sad people. Everybody's happy. They're driving those new cars, their hair looks great, and and the kids are smiling in the back, and they're not arguing, and and the sun is shining. I mean, isn't that what happens when you buy a new car? (laughs) All the advertisements telling you, you just need this, you just need that, and you'll be happy, and your kids will be in the back enjoying themselves. (laughs) See, that's all it takes, another possession, another thing. The world is always telling us, especially as Americans in a capitalistic society, since we've been babies, we've been been bombarded with that message day after day. Hundreds and thousands of images and commercials and ads. One more thing, and you'll be happy. But Jesus says, you don't need one more thing, you just need one thing. You need me. And you'll be saved from an eternal fire and separation from me and you will have a life now and forever that's full and satisfying. That's the truth. The fool also ignores that there is a life after this one. So he just stores up everything in this world. Again, notice this rich fool. He said, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. So where's all of his wealth? It's in these barns. Everything he has is there. He's got a lot of it. He has enough for many years, but it's all in one place. What happens to barns? They get blown over. They 
can catch on fire. Some thief can come in and steal it all out. And what always happens with every single possession and every penny of money, it's always left behind. Always. When you die, you know this, you don't take any of it with you. So if all the stuff you have is here on this earth, when you die, you have nothing. And that's why this guy was a fool. Because he died and he had absolutely nothing. See, the truth is there is a world, there is a life after this one. And if you leave your riches there and you put your wealth there, it will last forever. See, the futility of life was not lost on Solomon. Remember, he was the wealthiest man, the wisest man that ever lived. But he said this, I hated all my work that I labored at under the sun because I must leave it to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will take over all my work that I labored at skillfully under the sun. This too is futile. Think about this. And you know this to be true, but we often forget about it or just try to ignore it. All the money you make, all you're slaving 40 hours, 60 hours, 80 hours a week. You're, you're accumulating vehicles and homes and property and savings accounts and all this stuff. And you know this. One day, it's not going to be yours. It's going to be your children or your grandchildren or someone else you leave it to in your will. But it's not going to be yours. It's going to be theirs. So who are you really working for? That's what Solomon's saying. He's saying, my goodness, I'm not working for myself. I'm working for them. And he had lots of kids, and lots of them probably were fools. So he was, you know, he felt like, what am I doing? I'm working for all these fools. For, for, excuse me, for these idiots that are going to take my money afterwards. Now, who am I working for? What's the point of it? See, wouldn't it be different if you could work hard and accumulate things and you could keep it? then you wouldn't be working for someone else. But the reality is that's not... You are working for someone else. You don't get to keep it. But there is a way that you can work now and keep it forever. And that's what Jesus says. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Paul reminds us of a similar idea. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. As Christians, our focus should be on heaven. It should be focused on our eternity with God. It should be focused on preparing for that. It should be focused on trying to share the gospel with as many so that they can join us in that eternity with God. Our minds shouldn't be focused on earthly things. Yes, it has to be on earthly things. We have to. This is where we live. We have to focus on feeding our family and focus on a job and focusing on the things of life like that. We have to, but we don't have to focus on them. Our focus should be on heaven. And so when Jesus talks about storing up treasure in heaven, how do you do that? I think it's very simple. 
The New Testament tells us we will be rewarded for the good works that we do. And we're also told to do them with the right motive. Because you know you can do things for the wrong motive. I can, I can be a, a pastor of a megachurch and do it for the wrong reason. Do it for the acclaim, for the fame, for the money, for the self-esteem that it gives me, for the power that it gives me. So I could be doing good things, preaching and, and visiting and all kinds of things, but if it's for the wrong motive, there's no reward for that. But if we do it for the right motive, and there's only one motive to do any good work, it's love. Love for God, love for people. If we do good works, serve others out of love, we are promised we will be rewarded for that. And so we stand before the Lord. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. He'll say, here's your reward. We're not given the details of what that reward will be. But I believe it's a reward that will last for eternity. And how we can all be in heaven and have different rewards and not be covetous and greedy. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I know there's no sin there, so maybe that's how it's able to work. And how heaven can be, I don't know how heaven can be better here than there, or heaven can be better with more things than not. I don't understand all that. But the Bible makes it clear we are rewarded. So that's how you focus, and that's where you put your treasure. You put it there. The fool put it all here on this earth. One last thing. The fool believes once he accumulates his wealth, he can enjoy it for a long time. Did you notice what he said? You have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. And many times in life, we do focus on... If I can just get enough, I can take it easy for the rest of my life. That is certainly an American view of how to live life. Now, there's nothing wrong with saving for the future. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have a day when you don't have to work 40, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. You know, you want to retire. That's not a wrong attitude, a sinful attitude. But what is a wrong attitude and a sinful attitude is to have this idea that you're guaranteed those years or that you deserve those years. And so if you are assuming you're going to have them and making plans that you're going to have them, and that's what drives you. Now, if you're driven to make money so you can accumulate enough to retire well for 30 years at, at, you know, at the age of 50 and for 30 years live on easy street till you're 80, that's what's driving you. You're foolish. You're a fool because you may not get those 30 years. You see, that fool had one evening left. The truth is no one knows when we will die and have to give an account to God. God said to that fool, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. So this is how this man was foolish. He thought his life would be happy the more things that he had. He thought that if he accumulated everything for now and for this world, he would have everything. And he thought he would have it for many years to come. All foolish, foolish ways to think. Because the truth is the satisfaction in life comes from a closeness to God. The truth is everything we accumulate here 
stays here, but everything we accumulate for heaven lasts for eternity. And the truth is, be prepared, because tonight God may call you and say, it's time to leave, it's time to come home. You won't get those years you thought. James reminds us that assuming a future is arrogant, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city and spend a year there and do business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be. For you are like vapor that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Instead, you should say, if the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and such boasting is evil. That's pretty strong words. What James is saying is not wrong to plan. That's wise to plan for the future. But what's foolish and what's even evil and sinful is to assume that you will have that future and to ignore that God is the one to whom you have to answer and God is the one who controls your life and God controls your future. When you're making plans without thinking about God, you are ignoring Him and that's what is wrong. Make your plans, but make them with the understanding that ultimately God makes the plans. And if God wills to give you another 10, 20, 30 years, then this is what I will do. If God gives me the ability, if He gives me the resources, this is what I'd like to do with them. That's okay to have that plan, but you have to think about whether God wants it and what the will of God is and never ignore Him. Now, as I close, this parable, as I said, is easy to understand. Don't be greedy and be rich toward God. Those are the two ways I want you to think as we close our service by singing and praying and responding. There's a warning. Watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. If that's where you are this morning, you have to get rid of that foolishness. If you equate quality of life with the amount of your possessions, that's a lie. Repent of it, confess it, and come to the Lord this morning understanding that the quality of your life comes in your relationship to Him. And if your relationship with Him isn't right this morning, make that right. And then the rest of your life will fall into place. But you may be here this morning, and you're not a greedy person. It's possible to not be greedy, okay? You're not a greedy person. You are close to God. But are you rich toward God? I think all of us can do better at our savings account in heaven. I don't know what my balance is. I don't know what your balance is. But I'm certain I can put more in it. And I can be rich toward God. That's having a right relationship with Him, and that is doing good works of service motivated by love. How is your good works going? How is your motivation going? What does that bank account look like in heaven? Maybe that's what you need to work on this week. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing as we close our service. But think about those two things as I pray, as you respond, as we sing.